Amen. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to see you. You're here on a holiday weekend, that last jump to get out and experience um, this nice smoky air and all the fires and all that. I know why you're here today, because it's cleaner air inside here than it is out camping. Otherwise, we'd all be gone this weekend, wouldn't we? Right? Yeah, well, it's clean air. Let's stay for a while, huh? All right, well, we're here together, and we're going to look at worship together this morning. Just finishing up our series in Ephesians, and we'll be starting a new series next Sunday. And that series is called Moving Forward. We're going to look at moving forward in our lives and moving forward as a church. But before we do, we're going to take this one Sunday, and we're going to look at this very relevant topic called worship. We're going to, in a sense, I want to invite you to join me, resetting our worship, our own understanding of what worship is and our own practice of worship. Sometimes we get sort of clouded and confused. Do you know that there is such a battle, such warring going on within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today about this concept of worship? And a lot of it centers around this style in a worship service or whether to have this look or that look or more specifically, you're probably familiar with the constant war and battle that goes on in church life over the music. One of the problems is we think incorrectly. We have absorbed and taken on an understanding that is not purely biblical that says music is our primary context of worship. And it's not. It is a form of worship, or at least it can be. But it is one small, very small fraction of a part of a much bigger picture that's called worship. And so going back in history all the way to the inventor of worship who talked about worship that was going to change, this reset, Jesus Christ himself, the one whom we worship. In your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4. Let's see what Jesus said about real worship. That will begin our study. Shouldn't we go to the word of God to understand what it means? All right, there's some stragglers, amen, love it. Yes, we should, shouldn't we? Because our, our view gets a little bit tainted. And sometimes we get caught up in, in what people are saying or tradition or what has typically been our experience over the years. And, and, and we've kind of get sidetracked. Let's go back to the source, hit the reset button. Here it is, Jesus himself, beginning in verse 20, speaking to this woman who was, who was uh, caught by him in sin. And verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. You see this lady who just got caught. Like Jesus just peeled back the layer and said, see, you're a sinner. Your lifestyle, your behavior is wrong. And her response was, yeah, 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 but, but where you say we sh you should worship and where we say we should worship are two different things. Watch what is happening, church. Check this out. Jesus is about to tell us about real worship. But he does so in the context of this lady trying to deflect. It's not about my life. It's not about my sin. It's not about the way I'm living. It's about the place that you go to to worship. Which mountain, which temple, which location is most appropriate for worship? And Jesus, I mean, seeing right through into her heart, says, Woman, verse 21, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is when, watch this, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. This is Jesus Christ telling us, hey, this is what worship is going to look like. Now, there's about to be a major shift, a, a transformation in the life of God's people, right? The gospel is coming. The gospel is literally standing before them, about to be crucified on the cross, giving us a way to, watch this, receive the Spirit of God, to be the people of God, forgiven. And he says, that day, when that happens, they will now worship me in spirit and truth. Well, first of all, let's talk about the definition of worship, because Contrary to popular belief, worship does not mean singing. Hey, did you catch that? Let it sink in for just a minute. Worship does not mean 
singing. It doesn't. That's not what it means. I even went to the Greek, and I thought, I'll look it up in the Greek and Hebrew just to make sure what I'm saying is true, because is it really not singing? And the actual meaning of what Jesus is talking about here is literally to bow down. It has the idea of reverence, respect, adoration, to adore, and watch this, to surrender and submit to. That's more of the definition, the meaning of what we're talking about here. Worship means that when I worship God, that I'm literally bowing down, and it's not maybe physically, but in a sense, submitting, giving preference, reference to. God is above. I I give allegiance to him. I adore him because who he is is beautiful and magnificent and glorious and so much higher than me and so much better than who I am in this world and context. So I bow below and I humble myself. I give respect. I give reverence in, in a holy fear of who he is. And I surrender. I submit my life, myself to God. Now that's the meaning of worship. You see, music isn't just worship. Worship isn't just music. Can you practice that while you're singing? Well, sure you can. But can you also practice music while you're not genuinely worshiping? Sure you can. People do it all the time. So Jesus shows us this worship. Look at what he says in spirit and truth. He says the true worshipers, that's genuine, will worship the Father in spirit. Now that means of God. Spirit means of God. See, the Spirit of God moves. The Spirit of God dwells in you and I. Our worship is of the Spirit of God. That means that it comes from Him. Any worship that doesn't come from God, in other words, God's Spirit saying, this is who I am, this is what I want you to do, acknowledge my truth, see who I am, I'm doing, this is my will, this is my action, do you recognize it? Any worship that doesn't flow from that is not worship in spirit. It's not in the Spirit of God. It might be in the Spirit of something else. It might be in the spirit of tradition. It might be in the spirit of emotionalism. It might be in the spirit of my own desires and my flesh. But it's not of God. Worship the Father in spirit of God and truth. Truth is what God says. You know that's how we define truth? Truth isn't relative. It can't be formed by our logic, thinking, reasoning, experiences. Truth is absolute. Truth comes directly from God. When God speaks, that is truth. That defines what truth is. His own essence, his own character, his own, this is my way, this is who I am, this is what I want, that comes from God, that's called the truth. That means when we're worshiping in the spirit of God, and according to what he says, it's for God, his purposes, and for him. You know, one of the reasons why the church is getting worship so sideways in the day and age which we live. You know why? Because somehow, like humans do, we've turned this concept around to be something that we want to be for us. I don't like that song. I don't like that music. I don't like that service. I don't like the way they do this. I don't worship in that. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, whoever said worship was for you? According to what Jesus said is true worshipers will worship in the spirit of God and for the purposes of God, unto God, in truth, who God really says he is, right? Are you with me? All worship, 100,050 billion percent of it, is directly to and for God. You don't worship a God for yourself. It's unto him. It's for him. Let me make this statement. Worship will give meaning and joy to your life like never before. It will give meaning and joy to life because it fulfills the longing of your heart. The way that God created you to. Did you know that God created each one of us and in the way that he created us, even though we have the propensity and sin nature to wander into sin, still... Being created in his image means that we have a deep-rooted need, longing, aching to worship God. And when we do in spirit and in truth, when it connects with who God really 
says he is and according to his ways and it's all for him and unto him, there is no greater sense of meaning and purpose and joy to the existence of who you are. The clearest version of yourself can be found when you're worshiping him purely in spirit and in truth. So some of us need a reset. I know I do. I need to go back to God and say, okay, you tell me what worship is and I'll do that. And so let's turn back in the Old Testament to Isaiah chapter 6 and find an actual instance where God himself reset worship for his people. God hit the reset button with his people. He said, Isaiah chapter 6, he said, you guys are doing it all wrong. This is not worship. This is something that might look like worship. This is something that you've always been doing that you called worship. But he just pointed out. Isaiah the prophet is coming to the people of God with this message. You are not really worshiping God with your lives. With your mouth, you might be saying things, but with your lives, you are wandering away from the things of God. There's a problem. There's a disconnect. And so God allows Isaiah himself. Watch this, church. Are you all tracking with me so far? Are you ready to reset worship? He looks down to Isaiah and he says, I'm going to have you tell my people what's real because they're not getting it. But in order to do that, first I'm going to lead you through a genuine worship experience so that you know what it looks like, so that you can go tell them. Chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And so I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it. And he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. I'm ready. Lord, I want to give myself to you. Isaiah had this incredible experience, and there's really five steps that we can outline that show us how to reset our worship. The first one is this, worship begins by seeing God as he is. Worship in spirit And truth, according to God, see him as he is. We see that in chapter 6, verse 1. King Uzziah died. Watch this. King Uzziah died, but Isaiah sees in that very moment the king of the universe who still lives. Kings come and go. Kings will rule sort of okay. Kings will rule very poorly and everywhere in between. The affairs that govern man are fickle. They're temporary, they go up and down, but the one constant ruling over the entire creation that never falters, never changes, never fails is God sitting on his throne. God sitting on his throne. You see, he is allowed to see God who sits on his throne, and and there he's sitting on his throne, and it says high and lifted up. You see that? Worship begins by seeing God as so much higher. you got to see that. you got to acknowledge that to worship. You can't worship a God who is equal with you. You can't worship a God that meets the needs that you think you might have like an idol. You can't form for yourself that which you give worship to. It has to come from high beyond your reach, lifted up to be exalted, to be so much better than us, to be so much more grand and right than us. He said, I'm beginning to see God as he is. He's high and lifted up in the temple. And then it says in the train of his robe that literally the clothing that represents his ruling authority literally fills the temple, that entire place of worship where he was. Whether it's a vision or he actually was transported up there, I don't know. But in, in his mind, it was like being there. And the entire temple that he was worshiping in was filled with this train of God's robe. 
There's, there's no room for anything else but that which comes from God when you see him high and lifted up. When you see him as he is. See, we don't have to create that. We don't even have to imagine it. It's the reality and the truth of who God is. He does rule. He does reign. He is supreme over all the affairs of the earth. Watch this. He does rule. He is supreme over all the affairs of mankind. He is supreme and he does rule over all the affairs of your life. And when you begin to see that, you see God as he really is. When you begin to see that that train of his, of his robe that flows is, is a king, a majestic, glorious king of the universe that doesn't just rule everything, but he also rules me. And he rules the affairs of my life, where, where I place my affections, what, what I do with my life, the things that I say, what's important, who I am, all is subject. All is surrendered. All is seen as underneath the authority of the God who's high and lifted up. Look at the picture here. Above it stood, stood seraphim. These are the angelic beings. I mean, just created for the purpose of giving him glory. Of showing worship. What it looks like. There they are. They, they have six wings and they're flying with two of them. And then with two they cover their face because they're literally ashamed to behold the face of God. He's so glorious. And covering their feet. Ashamed to let the dirtiest part of who they are. The part that walks and treads. In a sense, standing in, in holy ground, they don't even want to stand on the same ground God is. And so they, they hover, flying above, covering the parts of their body that they think are not worthy. Because he's so much better, he's so much more righteous, he's so much purer. Do you see the God of the universe that way? I mean, come on, think about it. Is that how you go throughout the day on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday in your week? Do you see yourself literally in the presence of and subject to the glorious, great, awesome God? Do you see him as he is? You see, I'm concerned we don't. I'm concerned. In fact, you have to understand that this is part of my life's mission. So you're just going to... As long as I'm your pastor, you're going to get this, okay? And that is this. We try too hard to make this seeing God who he is and acknowledging him in worship in a one-hour worship service on one day a week and neglect the entire rest of our lives. We come in this church, and by the way, it's okay to do this in church, to come and say God is worthy of praise and, and we see him as he is maybe in a church service, but I'm just, I'm just telling you, if that's the only time we do it, I wonder if that's really seeing him as he is. Because if we see him and subject our whole lives underneath him and who he is, and then we say, oh yes, God, I see how wonderfully glorious you are and all that you've done for me, and so I'm going to go out throughout the rest of the week living how I want to. Is that really seeing him as he is? Think about it. What if, what if, what if I were to tell Julie, my wife, Honey, look at me. I love you, sweetheart. I mean, would that be good? You all could help me out here. Thank you. Would that be a good thing to do? Would you be proud of me? Say, good job. Honey, I love you. And I really mean it with all my heart. And then what if I were to then go into my everyday life and never give Julie a second thought for the rest of the week and maybe every once in a while send her an email or, oh, 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 it's, uh, I remember who you are. Thank you. God, I love you. And then I never tell her or show her any form of love throughout the entire week until the next day or the next time that week. And I come back and I say, honey, I love you. And then I walk away from that one hour time of expressing my love. And then I live my life out with the guys and hunting and doing my things and hanging out with Ben and John and playing wiffle ball inside the worship center during the week and all the wonderful godly things that we do throughout the week. And then, and then I come back on the next day, that, that same time next week, and say, honey, I, you know that's about as far as I would get. And lights out. I know my wife. I don't know about you guys, but 
she'd clock me. How long would it last me just telling her I love you and I really mean it, but not ever showing her that love with action? Well, let me just ask you a question, guys. How long would it last in your marriage? We wouldn't do that to our spouses. We wouldn't do that to our children, to our parents. I think sometimes Sunday morning worship is just like that. Oh, God, I love you, and I really mean it. Don't you hear the cry of my heart when I sing these songs, and I give my offering, and hey, listen, I made it this Sunday. Didn't last Sunday, but I made it this Sunday, and so, hey, I'm here to tell you I love you. And then there's no expression of that love. There's no obedience in saying, God, because I love you, I want to give you. I want to serve you. That's not acknowledging who he really is. That's not who God is. Listen, he doesn't want that kind of worship from you. How do you know? Hold on. Make sure. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such. Because it says what kind of worship he's seeking for. And by the way, he was getting this other kind from the people of Israel. And he called Isaiah up to say, time to reset. Because I don't like that. It's not who I am. Second step is worship God as holy. We worship him as holy. All this is part of worship, church. We can't find worshiping God without this step. The the angelic beings, the seraphim, are there to show Isaiah crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You see, the, you see the stage they're setting for worship? You see the encounter for worship that Isaiah is having? They're saying that, that the source of holiness comes from God. Holy, when you say it three times, that means I'm not kidding. This is for real. This is important. Holy. Yes, holy. No, really, holy is the Lord God of hosts. God's otherness, his distinct nature that's different from all the rest of the universe that makes him God and nothing else God, no one else God. His uncontaminated, pure character. The the angels are saying, this is who he is. He's he's set apart. He's above. In other words, you can't be of God unless you come to God. You don't have God holiness in you. Holiness radiates from, permeates from, flows from who God is. He is holy. And so holiness is defined by him showing himself. When he is righteous, that is holy. When he is loving, that we don't even know that kind of love, that is holy. When he is completely perfect and without any injustice, sin, or failure, that is holy. That is holy. And he says the whole earth is filled with his glory. The whole earth. I mean, where do you seek for God's holiness? Let me just ask you this. Do you even need holiness? Do you even try to experience holiness? Do you even care about holiness? And what are you looking for in your life to find it? Well, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Are you looking for God? Are you looking for what God is doing? Are you looking for God's people? Are you looking for God's purposes? Are you ready to encounter the distinct otherness of God? You see, that, that means I'm not going to get it anywhere else. So when, I, when my life begins to focus on who he really is and I begin to see God as holy, I worship him. That means I bow down, give reverence, adore him, surrender to him in all of his holiness that I keep and I remain in pursuit Of God's otherness. Even in the world that I live. The next step is. Well, verse 5. The the posts of the. In verse 4 it said the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. You know what that's doing? That's a dramatic scene, isn't it? 
Would you agree with me? I mean, literally, if the post started shaking in this room right now, and the whole, I mean, the whole building was a tremendous noise from the shaking, and the whole, on the lights started swinging, and boom, and all of a sudden this whole room filled with smoke, would we have your attention? Who have my attention? I'm like, what is so powerful, what is so dominating that it shakes the very foundations of whatever I'm in? And these are the halls of heaven that are being shaken. Dramatic stage. Isaiah's response is step three. Worship confesses our unholiness. When we worship God in holiness, it leads us to see our own unholiness. And we must confess that. So I said, woe is me for I am undone. That word undone means cut off. Nothing left. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. You see what he's saying here? Listen. This is important. When we see God in his holiness, when we acknowledge that he really is who he says he is, when we begin to subject ourselves to his authority and his sovereignty and his his glory, and, and, and see our lives as, as to experience his holiness. When that happens, listen. Hey, look right here. Look right here. Watch this. Listen. When that happens, it will become extremely clear which part of you doesn't line up with the holiness of him. It's exposed. We're not otherness. And when we see God as who he is and when we encounter God, parts of our life are shown that are not worthy of God. And we, hey, church, we have a problem with that. Why? Because we're a people that don't like to admit when we're wrong. You know, I've done a little bit of marriage counseling in my 27 years of ministry. Just a little bit. I'm actually exaggerating if you didn't know that. A lot of marriage counseling. You know why? Because marriages are falling apart and struggling in churches all over the West Coast. That's where I've been a pastor, so I can speak personally, firsthand. And do you know that more often than not in a counseling session of trying to save and restore a marriage between a husband and wife, it all boils down to someone does not want to admit that they're wrong. That's what it comes down to. If counseling can lead us to see that, then it becomes the person's responsibility to say, okay, I acknowledge that, I confess that. And whenever we come before God, if we have the kind of nature, the kind of habit, the kind of momentum of life that isn't likely to acknowledge when we're wrong, we don't like to talk about our weakness, we don't want to see our own unrighteousness and our failures, we certainly don't want to dwell on them, and so when we encounter the gloriness, the glory and the holiness of God, listen, if, if we want to run and hide and keep our sin from God, it interrupts our worship. It interrupts worship. Write this down. Worship that skips genuine confession is detestable to God. It's okay. Hey, one of the models of our church is Cross Point Community Church, a place where it's okay to not be okay. It is okay to come into this building to come into our church with sin, with failure, with weakness, with mistakes. And maybe even it's all tangled up and it's a big mess. It's okay. This is the place to come with that. It's okay to not be okay here because what we want to do is lead one another to true, genuine, Christ-ordained worship and spirit and truth that will begin to show us those things in our life that don't measure up to his holiness so we can be cleansed. Thank you. One amen. I, I don't know of a greater message, folks. I don't know of a better way of life. 
woe is me for I am undone. I see who God is and then I see my own lips and say the things that I've been saying and the things that I've been doing are shameful in the light of who he is. And so I, I confess them. Woe is me for I am undone. God, I, I don't want to be like this. I'm, this is me. I, I, I just lay it before you. Would, you. would you please help me? That's what he's doing. Which brings us to step four. The moment you've all been waiting for. After we confess our unholiness before God, worshiping God allows him to change us. Worship allows God to change us. You see why you cannot worship today? Unless it is through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the sacrificial atonement for sin. It is God the Father's holy way of saying, you want to enter into my presence, you want to know me, you want to worship me. In your sin, in your failure, you must come through this way. Jesus said, I am the door, the way, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So through the cross, through redemption, through God's glorious grace that he gave his only son, so that we can be forgiven. We come to him. And when we do and confess our sins, the Bible tells us that he's faithful, he's just, to forgive us all of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is exactly, in Old Testament version, what is happening right here. One of the seraphim flew, having his hand, a live coal, which he'd taken from the thongs of the altar, the very altar of God that's burning the fire before God, and he takes a coal right out of that fire, and he touches the sinful part of who Isaiah is, purifying it, cleansing it, changing it by the power of God's grace. Hey, that's worship. That is worship. He touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Watch it. Your iniquity is taken away. Now, listen. I wish I could roam around right here because I'm starting to get excited. Look, 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 look. Watch this. That's the point. When our life has been changed in real spirit and truth, genuine worship, in humility before God. When our life has been changed and touched by him, that is the time where you can begin proclaiming praises. You see, it really doesn't make sense to proclaim the praises before that. Isaiah is the example. He was allowed this reset encounter so God could show his people, here's what it looks like. First you come to me, and first you see me as I am, and first you bow in reverence in my holiness and acknowledge my otherness, and then you see where you're not holy and confess it, and then by my grace I transform you, I heal you, I touch you, I change you, and then your lips are clean, and then you are in such a state where the praise of your lips comes out in glorious song, and that should be what Sunday morning worship is all about. That should be what we're doing when we sing. Let's talk about singing for just a minute. Psalm 100. Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. See it? We are the people and the sheep of his pasture. You see it? Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. The Psalms are filled with instruction. Listen to me, church. Commandments. You must do this. Come into his courts with praise. And the Bible tells us, you know, I just love the way Ben started out the service this morning talking about shouting. And I know it was kind of silly and you think, oh, he's just trying to get us riled up for church service. Yes, he is. You know why? Because God commands us to shout. God commands us to express when we are cleansed, when we do experience his mercy and his grace, that it should so move us that we rejoice and use our lips to give praise, to give homage, to give glorification to who God is. It is right to do that. It is commanded to do that. And sometimes it means shouting at the top of your lungs. 
That's what music can do. Music is a language of emotion. Did you know that? I mean, sometimes as, as, as Christians today, we, we fear emotion. You know why we fear it? Because some people have abused it and taken it way too far. That's called emotionalism. But even though someone has taken emotion and taken it to the extreme too far, does not mean that God hasn't created us with emotion as the means to praise him. Singing music is a language of emotion that connects the mind to the heart. It says, here is what God has said, his word, thus saith the Lord. Here is where I have surrendered, acknowledged, and obeyed. I have done what God's word says. I have experienced the truth of what God's word says. And when those two things connect, it comes out in glorious song. And it solidifies the faithfulness of God when we hear it, practice it, experience it, humble ourselves before it, and as a result, praise him for it. It solidifies. It brings unity as we do it together. We continue to reemphasize the things that God says are true. By the way, that includes doctrine. That we, with our lips, not just empty praise that we haven't given a thought of all throughout the week, but in actual truth and spirit surrendered to him, there is an overwhelming, bubbling, overflowing, inescapable praise that should result from our hearts. Yes, singing and worship is emotion. It was created to be emotion by God, who's the one that we worship. It stirs our hearts. It moves us. Sometimes it's joyful celebration. Sometimes it's reverent awe. Sometimes it's sorrowful repentance. But it brings the words of truth and the experience of surrender together. Listen. Listen. Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim the good news of salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonder among the peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. For he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand is his holy arm, having gained victory. The Lord has made known salvation, the righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with a harp, with the harp, with the sound of a song, with trumpets, with the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with dance. Let them sing praises with the timbrel and the harp, for the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Hey, by the way, it sounds a little bit repetitive right there. It sounds a little bit repetitive. Do songs repeat the same words over and over again? Yes. Hey, that is part of the purpose of a song. It takes a truth, a biblical truth in our statement, in our context, and it stretches it out. It provides melody to it and gives us a way to express that truth of his word with the melody that's in our heart, and it stretches it out so that we are intentionally saying it in a way that really means something to us, and we say it again and again and again because it causes us to reemphasize and to reevaluate and say, is this really true in my life? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Now listen, I've heard some criticism. doesn't matter if it's a hymn of old or a praise song of new today. I've heard some criticism that some songs say the same phrase over and over again, and I don't like that, and blah, blah, blah. Listen to me carefully. Listen, if you don't like that, then you don't like God. What? What? what do you, how can you say that? 
Go home and read Psalm 136 and Psalm 139. Those are God's words, especially look at Psalm 136. It says, his mercy endures forever. 26 times in 26 verses. And by the way, if you didn't know this, Psalm 136 is written as a song inspired by God. It is the perfect inerrant word of God because God is showing us, when you sing to me, proclaim my truths over and over and over and over and over again until they sink into your heart and until you truthfully mean them in your heart. The psalmist does that. I mean, some of you wouldn't like that psalm if it was sung. You'd say, I'm so tired of hearing his mercy endures forever. Just don't say it again, okay? Wait a minute. Wait a minute, church. How could we say that? How could we say, I don't want to hear about God's mercy? His mercy. That loved you and provided a means of salvation for you even though you didn't deserve it. That endures forever because he will never change he will always be merciful in all his dealings with man and in all his dealings with you in your life will always be merciful that's who he is how could we not want to celebrate that over and over and over that's what song does i'm not saying anything about whether old traditional style music and hymns is right or new praise and chorus is right I say, if it is worshipped through God's obedient surrender all week long, and it is truth from God's word, and you sing it over and over from a heart that's rejoicing because you've connected the truth of what he says to the experience of your life, then it is right. And I don't care if it's a hymn, and I don't care if it's a chorus. You see, it doesn't really matter if we're worried about the style, if we're worried about how old it is, how new it is, we're missing worship entirely. How could I even think about that if I'm literally in the presence of God's holiness and all I'm concerned about is woe is me for I am undone. And when he touches me and heals me and he accepts me and he restores me in life and he gives me his heart, all I want to do, and I don't care what it means, all I want to do is shout it out. Or if I'm undeep, under deep conviction and repentance, all I want to do is weep it. All I want to do is say, God, woe is me. It doesn't matter if it's an organ or an electric guitar to me. Let's not get hung up on fake worship. Let's lay ourselves out before God and worship him in spirit and truth. Singing helps us. I want at cross point, I want for all of us, now listen to me, I want for us to gather on Sundays, bringing with us all of our life from a week. And I want us to have the freedom in this one hour service to do as much as we can personally to reset worship in our life. That's what a Sunday morning service really is all about. Hopefully it's been authentic, genuine worship all week long for you. And when you come Sunday morning, listen, you'll be anointed. You'll be glowing. And you should have the freedom in this church, all the freedom you want to raise your hands. To shout joyful adoration unto God when you sing. You should have all the freedom in the world to bow down before God. And if that means kneeling before God, kneel. If it means, I don't know what it means for you. You should have the freedom to do that. You should have the freedom to weep. I don't think, listen, and it's been the same whether it's hymns or modern music for me. It doesn't matter. I don't think I've ever sat through a service of worship and not at some point been brought to tears. All kinds of different tears. Sometimes it's just happiness. Because the songs that I'm singing are my life this week. 
And I have known of his righteousness and his ways and the cross. Sometimes they're tears of sorrow because I realize, you know what? This week I have lived my entire life without giving God much thought. I haven't served him this week. I've only just done me this week. But these, these words are telling me that I should be here having lived my entire life for him and unto him. And I'm repentant of that. I am sorrowful. I am moved. And so if you want to come and bring tissue and weep and, and shout. The only reason we would ever, ever try to put a stop to any of that is out of selfishness. That I would have some judgment on someone else's encounter with the holiness of God. Now that's not to say that we create and engineer some fake form of emotionalism and try to get you moved beyond or outside of where God is. That's not spirit and truth. That's emotionalism. But you see, emotionalistic services result from a people who aren't walking with God during the week, not the leader. Ooh-wee. Ooh. Whoa. I don't know if that clicked. Do you know why we try to do emotionalistic services and rely on emotionalism? Because nobody's coming with authentic worship anymore. And it looks dead. And it looks stale. And it looks frozen. And so we have to fake it. And you can't put that kind of pressure on a music leader, whether it's Matt Beck or whether it's Ben Sprague or anybody in between. You can't put that kind of pressure on a leader standing up on the stage. We're just as responsible as you are to have a week of living before God and surrendering our life and worshiping God in his holiness and his righteousness that when we come here, we're celebrating the truth of who God is in real worship. You see, you got to do the same. When the church comes together that way, I'm telling you, there's no keeping the roof on this building. And that's a spirit thing. That's not a man thing. Or sometimes it's revival that breaks out in repentance and confession of sin, and it just floods. That's not a man thing. That's a God thing. So there's freedom in music and worship to our services, but listen to me carefully, dear friend. We don't ever expect that this one-hour time is the only part of worship in your life. It can't be. And if you're relying on it to be, something's going to seem wrong. Finally, last step. Worship gives and serves. Worship allows God to change us. Worship also gives and serves unto God. Did you, did you hear? Verse 8. God changes and restores him of Isaiah 6. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? I'm going to tell you something right now. I've studied the Bible through and through my entire adult life. Hopefully you have too. But I want to tell you one of the conclusions that I've come to studying this word diligently, and that is this. In the scriptures, it seems impossible to be rightly related to God Unless you are accomplishing his purposes. It seems impossible. Like, we know God's purposes right now. I think we would all agree. If if we can all agree on one purpose that God has right now, it is to be light unto the world right now for the church, right? To take the gospel of how to be saved to every nation, tribe, and tongue. Is that not a purpose of God today? Is that not the commission, the challenge he's given to the church? Is it or is it not? Is it not the primary driving force of God's mission on the earth right now, or not? Then how would I ever expect to worship God having no part of that mission throughout the week? Can't do it. Can't do it. We call it something else. We put worship on it, but it's something else. It's, Lord, I don't want to be part of your mission of sharing the gospel because I'm too afraid of what people might think. But when I come Sunday, I want, to be, I want to be emotional or I want to have this traditional experience or I want to do this and have a nice, I want to feel good when I leave. But listen to me, that is what the world teaches. That is not worship in the scriptures. Who will I send? God says, who will go for me? You've been changed now. You've seen me. You've encountered me. You know of my holiness and my righteousness. You know my plans 
Isaiah, who's going to go for me? And Isaiah says, send me. I will go. I will go. That's worship. That is worship. Think about it. Worship is not singing. I will go, says I surrender to you. I bow and subject my life to your plan, God. Your word, spirit, and truth says, go and proclaim to the, go- the gospel to the nations, to my neighbors, to everyone. Give my life for the gospel. That is worship. That is worship. That's the pinnacle of worship. I just want to um, read to you one final verse, and we're going to have time of response. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, you with me? Worship gives and serves in the New Testament. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips. You see it? Let us continually offer praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now watch the next verse. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices... God is well pleased. You see, the, the, the fruit of the lips and praise is, is good. But it comes from, it lines up with, and it's complementary to a life that does good for God. That shares with God's people from God. Those are sacrifices that we bring with the fruit of our lips and praise that are acceptable to him, that are pleasing to him. Isn't that what worship is all about, church? I'm pleading with you. Isn't that what worship is all about? I mean, we want worship to be acceptable, to be pleasing to God. He said it comes from doing good. It comes from giving and serving with our lives. Write this down. Write this down. Worship is way more about how we live than how we sing. Worship is way more, way, 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 way more about how you live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, than how you sing for 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. Let's respond with music this morning, shall we? Ben's going to lead us, and listen, take the truth of what you have heard. Internalize it right now. Process it. Speak to God. And whether it's proclaiming the experience of your week or whether it's confessing to God that that's how you're going to be next week, reset your worship buttons right here, right now, as we sing together. This is the response time. Your response is to sing. Go ahead. Your your response is to move from the heart. Give God the glory that is due his name. Let's sing.